when we look at the raw facts of the matter, I mean, we're in a very, very fortunate position. Um, for one thing, you were all fortunate enough to be born as a human in this lifetime. There are other alternatives. Um, you're also fortunate enough to um, be living in a part of the world that is relatively peaceful, not entirely peaceful. Not that difficult things don't happen here. And, you know, we're not denying that, you know, bombs are falling elsewhere in the world to cause great suffering. Um, but we can also be grateful for the opportunity to enjoy um, the relative peace that we enjoy in this part of the world. Um, we were running for our lives in terror. Um, it would be unlikely that we'd be willing to hear this type of teaching. So we can be grateful for that. We also live at a time where um, the teachings about liberation, the age-old teachings, are available and not censored or outlawed. Or This hasn't always been the case. I mean, there were times when in history where, you know, people were tortured and killed for this kind of teaching. So it may not always be the case, but it is um, the case to a large degree in this part of the world at this time. And we're also very fortunate that we, for whatever reason, have encountered um, these kinds of teachings and are willing to um, listen, willing to entertain the possibility. Okay. So in many ways, we're... Um, very, very blessed. And, you know, unlike other times in history, we don't have to go live in a cave. Um, we don't have to join a monastery. We don't have to make arrangements for international travel. It's all readily available on the internet, um, inexpensively, often for free. Um, it's so available that sometimes it's hard to discern which teachings may be helpful and which teachings may, may not be which teachings are a shortcut to the what we seek and which teachings are maybe a long cut. So it, when we find ourselves um, you know, at any point on this journey to find what has always been there, um, it's not always clear where we are or where we're going. It, it may be more clear where we've been, um, the kinds of things that we've seen to date, but what may not at all be clear is the kinds of things where we're maybe stuck now or um, have not yet seen. So when we look, look to the rear, it may be clear. When we look forward, it may be a little bit like um, trying to find our way in a dense fog. I remember uh, one time I was uh, by myself in a, in a small boat, small 
little tiny motor on it, and it was it was so foggy that you could not see more than I don't know 40 50 feet ahead of you, and um, the water there was no absolutely no wind, so there uh, the, the direction of wind didn't give you any. Uh, there was no, you couldn't tell anything from the water about which direction you were going. So all you could do is start from one shore and sort of take a, a, a bearing to where you thought you wanted to be. But your only way of seeing um, the direction you were going is to look backwards to see, you could see how straight you were going. But you couldn't tell going forward. And it's a bit like that where it's not at all clear what the next step may be, um, and that all, all we have to uh, keep us on course, so to speak, is our own integrity and our willingness to continue, right? A little courage doesn't help hurt either. So um, just that desire to somehow continue to, to look for what is um, what we may not even know how to characterize it, but there there can be this movement out of longing. Um, Saint Francis said that um, what you are looking for is what is looking. In other words, it's it's almost as if God is seeking itself through your eyes. You know, it's, it sounds like a quite dramatic statement, um, almost, almost heretical, right? And yet, if we, the idea is not to just take it on as a belief as well, you know, that's true, you know, I'll, I'll go with that. But rather to to really feel into that possibility, whether that could actually be true, because the sense of looking for what we are change, changes the movement. It changes from me as a separate self, vulnerable, you know, in a big world, looking for something outside of myself, something better than me, something higher than me, more spiritual, right? It changes that to what um, what am I believing that is preventing me from seeing what is already the case? So there are two quite different searches. I mean, one is one is looking for what what is inhibiting me from seeing what is already true, and the other one is how do I get from here to there? How do I get from here to there when I'm not quite sure what here is and I have no idea what there is and I've only just been told how to get from here to there. So that's where uh, teachers um, can be helpful uh, if they have indeed explored the territory then they can provide some guidance you know how to how to what the, the territory looks like. Um, you know, with, without a teacher, it's not impossible, but it, um, it can be much more difficult. It, 
it it would sort of be like you know if you lived on the east coast and uh, you had heard about los angeles but you didn't know how to get there and you didn't have any maps and you didn't have a compass and um but you wanted to go to los angeles you, you might get there but it might take a long time right um if if you had no map of the territory if you had no reports back of what to do but if someone you know gave some guidance you know like get on route 40 and take a left when you hit the coast i mean that would you know give you at least something to go on so the 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 role of a teacher is really to provide um suggestion for a direction to look um a teacher any teacher the most profound sage that ever lived can't do it for you. You still have to do it yourself. But what the uh, teacher can do is to point um, a, a fruitful direction. And then it's up to you. You can either, you know, trust that enough to try it for yourself or take it as a concept and believe it or disbelieve it. Um, but the only thing of real value is is to test it out for yourself. It doesn't actually matter what anybody else says about it. Maybe they're right, maybe they're not. You know, maybe they've actually experienced it, maybe they haven't. But a, a teacher that is of value is someone that, who's actually explored the territory and can give um, useful pointers. Um, you can't convey the actual experience um, because it, it's not reducible to words or concepts or theologies. Um, but what a teacher can do is um, provide a suggestion of, of a direction to look. Um, you still have to you still have to do the hard work yourself, but um, at least you can narrow the possibilities. Um, you know, I don't think without. Um, I, I mean, I've said this to Adi Ashanti. Without um, his teaching, I. Um, Doubt. I, I don't have any reason to believe that I would have found my way home in this lifetime. So it's it has it has value. Every every teacher um, will and any any true teacher would speak from their own experience, not from hearsay. And since every path is unique, everyone's experience of of how they arrived at a realization. Um, is going to be different. So the teachings are going to be different. Does that make one right and the other one wrong? No, of course not. You know, but what is um, more valuable is is listening from the point of view of uh, trying to see the perspective that the teaching is coming from more than trying to dissect and analyze the words. You know, if we're if we're too caught up in the um, terminology or the um, you know whether this teaching agrees with that teaching or um, whether it agrees with you know your own 
ideas that you learn from some other place. Um, all of that's you know, trying to sort this out in your head. And that's not where the actual realization lies. Um, where, where it does lie is in the recognition of one's own innate awareness, that already present capacity that um, is complete for everybody. So this idea of, of um, you know, trusting a teacher is, is really trusting to the extent of being willing to try it for yourself. Um, and that, you just have to use your own judgment there, whether that um, movement is coming from a place of um, feeling like it's, it resonates with you, um, more so than it just appeals to one's ego, right? You know, it sounds like it is, um, you know, an enhancement of myself, you know, extra spiritual powers. The ego likes that, right? So we can decide, um, decide what we're really in it for. You know, e either we're in it to find out what's really true or we're in it to feel better. They're two very different things. Um, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to feel better, of course. But if that is our primary motivation, then we're going to tend to shy away from the more challenging parts of the journey. If we just want to feel good, you know, then we just want what we want. Right? If we're in it to find out what's true, then it's almost like we've um, taken off the blinders and are willing to see whatever it is that needs to be seen. So it's, it's quite a different movement and the outcomes are quite different. Right. Okay, so when we talk about um, our um, you know, retaining our authority, um, one reason I've been talking about teachers is that there is this um, uh, tendency of in you know some schools of spiritual teachings um, to introduce this idea of surrender to the guru, right? And it's not that it can't work. Uh, it sort of depends um, almost entirely on the clarity of the teacher, but it's a dangerous path uh, to, um, to give up one's innate intelligence really to give that away to anybody so again we come back to you know is this is this teaching something I'm not talking about tonight's teaching I'm talking about teachers in general um, is the teaching uh, useful um, if I try it out, is the, is it productive? <laughs> is it um, does it resonate with what I truly am? And the the, the reason for 
being careful with that, uh, you know, choosing a, a teacher and how one relates to that is that um, there's a level of trust, but then there's also a level of retaining one's own authority, you know, to know deep down what is uh, feels right and what feels, um, you know, something starts to veer off what feels um, you know, deep down honest to you, then, then it's worth um, being wary of that, right? But all, all teaching is only valid, any particular teaching is only valid for a particular point in one's journey. The A teaching and instruction um, is not a forever kind of thing. Like it's, um, you know, we can just hold on to it forever. You know, a teaching that we have um, understood ourselves as a direct experience, we can say, you know, if someone talks about it, we can say, yeah, I, I know that one. I've, I've done that. I've been there. I've experienced that. And sometimes I remember when I, um, you know, for the several years I was with Adi Ashanti, there were some things that he would talk about that I could recognize that I hadn't experienced. And it's good good to know the difference, right? It's good to know that, um, yeah, that may be true. Um, you know, I, you know, he appears like a honest, you know, trustworthy person, but as, as in my own experience, I just haven't experienced that yet. So I'll file it in the, maybe that may be true category. You know, it, it would be incorrect no matter how much I trusted that person and no matter how much I respected that person to put it in the, yeah, I'll believe that category, right? So it's good to know what we know and uh, it's good to recognize um, what we haven't not yet experienced. But even hearing teachings about things that we haven't yet experienced has value um, because when one day when we do experience that, um, it can give us a context. It can uh, help us understand what's really happening then um, to really fully uh, utilize and understand that experience. So I'll give you an example. Um, let's say that um, a teaching might be that even after awakening, um, uh, we might still find ourselves caught in contracted states. And it's not wrong. It's actually a way of um, further clarifying our relationship with our mind. Okay, so we can hear that that teaching, and um, you know, if the awakeness hasn't happened yet, um, but one day does, and then if we if we find those contracted states, if we haven't heard that teaching before, it can be quite alarming to feel like. You know, last week it was also perfectly clear, and this week I feel as lost as ever. And it can be quite upsetting and confusing. But if we've heard that teaching, it's like, oh, yeah, that's what's happening. It's just the mind, just the mind doing what it does. Nothing more. The awareness is still present. No problem. So it can help us, you know, by hearing the teaching at one point and sort of... Um, just putting it on the back burner, you know, without disbelieving it, without taking it on as a immutable truth, 
it just is available when when we need when we need it. Okay, so the other way we can give away our authority is to our mind. You know what we all learned without even realizing we were learning it as we grew up. We all learned that what I am is this body and this mind, this organism. That's what I am. Some total of my history and my beliefs and preferences and desires and ideas and etc. That's what I am. So if that's our belief, then it's easy to assign the mind the position of power to tell us what's right and what's wrong, what we should have done, what we shouldn't have done. The mind likes that. The mind likes that position of authority. And um, so in a sense, we've given that thoroughly conditioned thinking mind the authority to um, basically be an inner tyrant, right? One that sort of sits in judgment of what we did right, what we didn't do, what we should have done, sits in judgment of other people, knows what's right and wrong and good and bad ideas and all those self-judgments about our flaws and maybe even our strengths, our unworthinesses and our worthiness, both, you know, the this inner, sometimes it's called the higher self. It's not higher. It's just, you know, sort of imagines itself higher. It's just another thought stream generated like every other thought stream, but imagines it to be somehow better than you know, the parental voice in our head. So it's sort of like, um, you know, working in an office with an abusive manager, you know, that's always, um, you know, hypercritical and, um, you know, always prepared to yell at you for what you did wrong or what you should have done or what you could have done better. And even when you do something right, it feels like, well, I just can't rest on that because, you know, Tomorrow, that person, the manager, will forget all about it and be mad at me again and tell me I can do better. So there's this sort of underlying sense of anxiety, like always having to live up to some ideal that somehow is being imposed by my own mind on myself. Um, and it's like, you know, living in the same house with this, this tyrannical supervisor, right? It's actually not all that much different than uh, if you've ever been in, um, I guess it's more common in a larger city, but um, there's some homeless um, person, you know, wandering down a crowded street, sort of muttering to themselves, talking to themselves out loud. You know, our assumption is, well, that, that person's maybe crazy. 
the only difference is, is we don't do it out loud. We just do it in the silence of our own head. But that same muttering quality is, is present. Right? The same way we sort of talk to ourselves in terms that are quite, quite repetitive. Often quite critical. And the power of that is the power that we endow it with the belief that it's true. That's what gives it power. So we create our own critic, create our own judge and jury. And we give away our authority to that. That becomes the ideal. That becomes what we should be, how we should act, how we, how we should relate to the world. It's really just the inner tyrant, right? <laughs> so if, if we try to... Um, negotiate with that inner critic, we empower it. We try to appease that inner critic by doing more and more and more. We also empower it. So what to do? What we can do is just see that it's just a bundle of thoughts, a bundle of highly conditioned thoughts that we repeat to ourselves, we believe, and we suffer from, not always. That voice seems to be more convincing when we're feeling sort of low anyway, or tired, or had a hard day. So the way out of that loop where we're in relationship with this unreasonable tyrant, the way out of that loop is just to step out of it, to see that what we truly are is the awareness that notices that whole mechanism. The, the resolution isn't to try to, you know, defang the tyrant. No, it's not to, you know, not to argue our way out of it or it's just to see that it's just conditioning. It's just the way the mind has been conditioned to talk to itself. And what what entrenches it is the power of our belief. So by retaining our authority, I'm talking about, um, I'm not talking about, obviously not talking, emphatically not talking about, um, you, know, uh, you know, just reverting to the authority of everything that goes through my head and thinking that is the final authority. It's not. When I'm speaking of um, you being your own authority, I'm talking about awareness. 
the awareness that is present for whatever is arising, including all of the all of the thoughts and self-talk that's happening. Right. Okay, so it's just coming back to that um, essence of what we are and see that um, that all of that talk and judgment and everything is happening within that awareness. The awareness is big enough to allow even that. This journey isn't about um, chasing down every fault. It's really not. It's about seeing what is has enough capacity to include it all. Even, even the conditioning, even the, the difficult conditioning, can we be okay with that? Awareness is okay with that already. You know, may not be that much fun, but we can we can just notice how you know this you know organism that is very much a part of this ever-changing world responds to certain conditions. I mean, we wake up and it's a beautiful, warm, sunny day, and the flowers are out. You know, we feel good, feel happy. Right. You know, we hear about a dear friend having a serious disease. We feel worried. Someone, you know, sends, sends, says something derogatory about us or something that we hold dear. We might feel hurt. You know, these bodies respond to conditions. So if one of the conditions is a frequent self-critical mind, we, we, this body mind will sense that, will suffer as a result of that. We can try to ignore it or minimize it or improve it or love it to death or all of those things. But the only real solution is just to step back into the awareness that's present for it all and notice that it all changes, always changes. You know, and if we allow that to um, whatever is presented within that field of awareness, whatever is presented, if we allow it to come, we allow it to go, we stay present for it, learn from it. Be observant of it. It's okay. Right? Of course, we'll prefer some things rather than others, but we have all survived difficult times. All survived mundane times. We've all survived good times. Always changing. But if we keep holding out like a life should look like this, and not like that, it should only be the good times, we'll always be disappointed. Because even when things go our way, it's like, well, this isn't going to last. I know that. The other shoe will drop. Okay, so what we're talking about here is not relinquishing our authority 
our integrity to the tyranny of this conditioned thinking judgmental mind. Right? It's not that we lose our ability to think or but this awareness has an, an ability to discern, to know, to feel what's really true. much more intuitive kind of knowing. In the East, they call it prajna, heart wisdom. You know, wisdom that comes from a different place. Okay, so we might see, okay, I, I get that... Um, you know, we don't want to give away. We can listen to, um, you know, uh, trust a teaching to give us a pointer, knowing that we'll have to walk that path ourselves. Um, but we can retain our authority. Um, and I, we can also know that, well, I won't give away my authority to my thinking mind. I'll stand back and see the, the larger picture within which all of that is happening. Great. Okay. And then we might say, well, you know, I'm on the spiritual path, so, um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be even more noble and I'll relinquish my authority to God. Right? It sounds, sounds wonderful, right? My will be done. Let go, let God, allow everything to be as it is. Beautiful words. How do you do that? Sort of depends on who's asking the question, right? You know, if it's the, the little me, you know, thoroughly identified with it being a separate independent self trying to trying to surrender itself to some external divine being. Why would you do that? It's the, it's the little me trying to improve its situation, right? If I surrender to God, maybe my experience of this life, my experience will be better. But so you have, you know, you have a false self trying to relinquish itself to a concept of some external divine entity. What could go wrong? So what are what are those kinds of sayings pointing to then? Uh, it's it's not that this separate self can do that. The separate self has no interest in doing that. Separate self likes the idea of it, of surrendering to the divine. 
but it actually has no interest in actually doing it. Because it's, its worldview is that this, that I am, this body-mind organism, is separate. You know, the last thing that separate self wants to do is um, actually move in the direction of feeling its demise. Because that's what it takes itself to be. If that's our, if that's our belief, and for most people it is, that what I am is this separate self, this body-mind, you know, me, this you know, the thoughts in my head, this body, that's what I am. And the idea of surrendering that um, to some exterior will just is beyond every every instinct, every survival instinct of the body-mind. It might sound like a good idea, but in practice, that movement um, won't happen. And so what, what's left is a possibility. Uh, what actually has the capacity um, to recognize unity with um, the entirety with life is, is awareness itself. It sort of depends on our concept of what we mean by the, the word God, obviously a concept, right? It depends on what that concept means to the person using it. Does it mean a, a separate divine entity somehow removed from you and me? That sometimes tinkers with things here on earth. judges us fairly harshly, as we've heard, after this lifetime. Is that is that really what we hold that to mean? Or um, do we mean all of life, all of existence? Not only all of existence in form, but the potentiality, all of it excluding nothing. If that's what we mean by the divine, then I would ask, where exactly is the boundary between awareness and that? If awareness itself has the capacity to um, be inclusive of all, everything that's ever seen, felt, heard, tasted, touched, seen, experienced. How is that separate from life in any way? When we when we seek 
unity from the assumption that what I am now is a separate self. Um, how do you bridge that gap? But if the recognition of what we truly are is that spaciousness of awareness, which um, without judgment, without an agenda, is inclusive of everything. That is the recognition of unity. Nothing, nothing other than, nothing separate from. We don't achieve it. We recognize that it's already the case. We're not actually surrendering anything except false ideas. Not surrendering anything except um, mistaken beliefs about who we are. That's what's surrendered. And we surrender them, not by trying real hard to surrender them, but by just seeing that they're not true. You know, if, you, if you're trying real hard to surrender them, but you sort of believe that they're probably still true, <laughs> you, you, you're trying to, I don't know, open the door and close it at the same time. But if you can see that the fundamental assumption about what we are is this form, then not surrendering anything. We're just surrendering the false idea, letting it drop. It drops of its own non-existent weight. You don't have to try to and try to make it drop. It's not even it's not even bad. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, something that we took on in innocence. And we can just see that. There's no blame, no fault. We're just mistaken. So our authority is once again retained in what we truly are as awareness. But what we find out is that awareness is not other than the whole, not other than life itself, not other than the entirety. And we find out that what St. Francis was pointing to is actually true. What you are looking for is what is looking, looking as awareness. God seeking itself through form. <laughs> 